0: What's up food history nerds? I'm Celine Roberts and you're listening to 5 Minutes in Food History. This is the final chapter in the long saga of Pittsburgh Brewing Company. Editor-in-chief Charlie Deitch has the details. This is the agony and the ecstasy of Iron City.
1: Here we are in October of 2009. They decide they're moving the company to Latrobe. They agreed to many things in order to get these breaks. It only paid $450,000 of its water bill. They were given, you know, two-thirds of the money from the URA. And um, while they were supposed to make $4 million in capital improvements, by the time I wrote this story in October of 2009 – they had only put about $1.5 million in investment in the company. You know, as you said, the economy was – in 2008, the economy took a nosedive. Maybe the equipment was bad. It's got but a lot of problems. It's got a lot of problems. But I think it's always best to under-promise and over-deliver. I mean in every turn, we have people who are over-promising and either under-delivering or just not delivering at all. And I think that was the case with the, the Hickman ownership that group's ownership is they really didn't do anything except sort of – they kept it afloat for another two years. Um, So then in 2009, they announced that they were going to move it. Um, uh, Tim Hickman called it a perfect storm of problems. you know. But it had been a storm that was brewing. I just – I can't imagine that you could look at that company in 2007, between 2005 and 2007 and think that this is something that you can legitimately save. And so – a lot, Richie. Guys like Richie Malter and other folks I talked to, felt that it was just a land, kind of a land grab. They were going to get this huge parcel of property in, in Lawrenceville, and um, they were going to try and turn it around. It was nothing but a land deal. And so they, of course, denied that, as you can imagine. So that's sort of uh, where things start to wrap up in 2009. They moved or brewing of the beer to Latrobe, and there was always hope that you know. Maybe they'd be able to do something with the plant. They made all these big plans, but I think it was just more of a. I think that day at the auction, when they're selling off every piece, uh, it always, and that's how I end the story. I come back to my sitting in those auctions for two days, when they're selling off the assembly line, you know, the can line, and so forth. But then you're also selling off these great prints of Myron Cope, you know, drinking an Iron City beer. It's autographed, and it's you're just like. If you were going to turn this company back into a showpiece, if this is stuff that you'd want. And so that was that, – that day that they were selling off pieces of Iron City, it's kind of the day that you realize that Iron City may exist as a brand. You may be able to go to a bar and drink an Iron City, but you're not really getting an Iron City. And I think that's how a lot of people feel. And I think that that's why today I think if you go into a bar and you look around, you're not going to see a lot of old-timers drinking Iron City going to see the young hipsters or folks from out of town who are like oh hey this is iron city beer i always heard about that but yeah to these old guys they were sold out it's a sad story and this wouldn't be the last ownership group since then they've been bought out again and uh you know got things like i see light and mango and you know that sort of also that was like probably the last kind of knife in the back when you
0: i remember when those billboards went up i know and i Almost crashed my car. Yeah. Into the, I think it was the Liberty Bridge
1: Yeah, that they were yes, up. yeah, yeah.
0: And I just remember really, yeah, waking up as I was driving and my mouth just falling yeah. open.
1: I yeah. see light mango. Yeah, it was like the – It was the, an embarrassment. It was the sexy tropical commercial. I'm like, who's, who's drinking that? A lot of people complain. That the, and the beer does taste different because maybe it was the free water that made it taste so good. But – uh there's just something about just something about Free it. Free
0: things always
1: taste better. <laughs> Free things always taste better. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's really a sad story. And and I think I think Iron City will always sort of be around. The spirit obviously will always be around. And I think it'll always be around even the new the bottles we see around in bars. I mean it's still gonna be a reminder. It's a nice reminder of, you know, things from the past, but you know, unfortunately I think the Iron City that we all know and love is, I think, been gone a long time. And it's it's a sad story, but it's also a Pittsburgh story. It's how a great industrial business kind of rises up. It's got its glory years, and then somebody comes in and fucks it up, and we're left with nothing.
0: <laughs> Charlie Deach, everyone, reminding us all <laughs> of our shitty roots.
1: Exactly. Well... <laughs> But what we do have is we have a pretty good brewing community here in Pittsburgh. We have a lot of small brewers, a lot of craft brewers, and we have some other, some other brewers who've really like grown and really made something of themselves here. So I think they're the folks that are keeping the Iron City legacy alive. Not the beer obviously, but they're the ones who are keeping the brewing tradition of Pittsburgh alive. And I think that that's a good thing. If nothing else, we still have uh, – we're still growing our brewing tradition here in Pittsburgh and um, we'll always have Iron City even if it tastes like Latrobe. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you, Celine.
0: For five more minutes in food history, visit our archives at www.pghcitypaper.com or subscribe to City Paper Podcasts in iTunes. We will be taking a broadcasting break until February, but until then, go out and make some history of your own.